Welcome to Hypergen Sales Leaders Podcast, the show that equips you with the cutting edge strategies, wisdom, and inspiration to become a top-notch sales leader in today's ever-evolving business landscape. I'm your host, John Mansoor, and each episode will bring you in-depth conversations with sales trailblazers, industry experts, and thought leaders who have mastered the art of leadership and revenue generation. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting your journey, join us as we unlock the secrets to sales success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Hypergen Sales Leaders Podcast. Today, we'll be having a conversation with a sales leader from Aegis Protective Services, and they're a full-service commercial provider of security services. Joining me from Cincinnati, Ohio, is Rod Hale, and he is the Vice President of Business Development at Aegis. Uh, Rod, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for the uh, opportunity really looking forward to, uh, to gleaning some insights and experience from your end. Uh, I'd like to start if you could just tell us a little bit more about Aegis and, and your role there. So uh, Aegis Protective Services is uh, what I would call a full service type of security uh, company. Uh, a lot of uh, providers in the security industry specialize on whether it's uh, technology or whether it's personnel, e-solutions and so on. Our company is one that was developed and provides all of those solutions. We look at ourselves as more of your security partner. We want to be able to come in and understand what your needs are, and then we'll give you options and solutions that we feel fit your needs and your budget. But we're also one of the few guard customer or companies in the industry that has a technology piece to it. A lot of the national companies, competitors of mine, may have both of those components because of the size and how they offer uh, worldwide services. We're more of a regional company that offers that. The majority of my guard kind of competitors, other than the nationals, don't really offer both of these. And we find it to be valuable to our clients because if you're using an electronic solution, and even if it isn't our product, we're able to provide technical support to you as well. So we've been successful over the years uh, of growing our company based upon that type of a platform. Family-owned uh, company, uh, I have been very fortunate to be a part of the company for the last 15, their 30 years of service, started by the father. The owner now is the uh, Justin Dutro, who's an engineer by education. And his whole method has been to really develop the technology piece and looking more towards the future. Okay. Yeah, that, that's great. And by far one of the most interesting questions we always get some really good responses to is why sales? Curious about what your career path looked like. How did you find, how did you end up in sales? Was it intentionally? Was it serendipitous? Would love to get some insight there. It wasn't because I wanted to. I can definitely tell you that. So my background, I grew up in a family business, so to speak, with restaurants. My family owned a fast food restaurant chain. I grew up in that. I honestly thought that my path would be to, to continue with the family business. But my parents volunteered a lot with community groups. And specifically, my father was a volunteer firefighter and medic. My mother was a medic. I got interested in doing that type of work and never had an interest in running into a burning building like my father did. So I took a path in law enforcement. And there's a lot of cops, when they retire, they look for security. But uh, again, my path was different that I also looked at leadership roles. As I grew up in uh, the law enforcement industry, I was fortunate to achieve the rank of chief of police, spending 26 years in law enforcement. And when that time ended, I had an opportunity to go to a local steel mill 
to uh, oversee their security uh, during a very turbulent time. Uh, a strike or a walkout lockout was in place. Did that for a couple of years and, and then really landed at Aegis Protective Services as a, to be candid, a, a stopgap until I figured out what my next step or career would be. But I found a, a family that really wanted to provide a, a quality product. And I, I tell you my history because I learned customer service at a very early age. Police officers are customer service, but they're also salesmen. They're also psychologists. They do a multitude of things. And so I learned a skill set over the years that became very valuable in my early years at Aegis to running the operational piece of our company. I will tell you from 15 years ago, my owner always spoke to me about if you'd ever like to get into sales, I think you could really do this. I think you could excel at it. You have an ability to talk to people. And our company is based upon relationships. That's really how we've been successful. The guard industry is unlike any other sales industry in that it's more of a want versus a need sometimes. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, we got to have security, but they don't understand what the cost is. My first, I'd say, eight to 10 years of Aegis, I was more of the operational guy. Probably about eight to 10 years into it, the owner just brought me in one day and said, look, I really want you to take over the sales piece and I want you to learn the sales model while still running the operational piece. That really is what led me into becoming vice president of our business development. And we went from 140, 150 employees when I first joined to six to 700. Now we're in five states. It really has been a journey that I learned so much over those years of how to develop relationships and what that meant on the sales component. Unlike the traditional path of salespeople who either go to school or they learn it in some other manner at a young age, my path was clearly different. So for business development at Aegis, it's really been a cool journey to learn these relationships. And that's also how we've kept our business and how we've grown our business is based upon just being able to pick a phone up and being able to work through a situation. You're dealing with people in my industry and COVID changed our industry, COVID changed the world, but people have different expectations. Employees have different expectations. I know everyone had to change, but we really had to change our focus during all of that, not only from how we operate, but how we sell our services. Again, a long-winded answer to the sales path for me was really something I didn't seek. Um, my owner saw something in me that I know I have that skill set. I'll just end this with, I was always a guy that, okay, I knew what my paycheck was going to look like. I knew what overtime I had or whatever. I've been a salary guy for so many years now. I, I get the same amount, whether I work 10 hours or a hundred. And uh, I've been blessed in that regard that uh, my owner has allowed me this opportunity to grow personally and professionally. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I almost feel like there's an entire other podcast of insights we could glean from uh, your, your time in law enforcement <laughs> as well. As you were saying that, I was thinking about just some of the more day-to-day -day. with that experience and, and being at your role for over a decade now. What are some strategies that you find them to be the most effective for generating new leads, closing deals in your field? Just generally, what do you find works best? Our reputation and referrals have always uh, served us. The generating the new lead is, is really difficult. In our industry, I, I look at it, this in a couple of different ways. You, if you find a client that uh, is just truly upset with their provider, there's no secret sauce here in the security industry. 
you either have clients who are looking at what that bill rate looks like and, and, and what their overall cost is going to be, or they're looking at what can you provide them and the employees. And so from our standpoint, building the relationship, really working with current clients to get that door open for me, refer me to that next level or that next step in the sales process. We have people that do an amazing job of knocking on the doors and the cold calling, but it really is not, that's not where we've made our money from. It's really been based upon just continuing to build our reputation. I said to you in the beginning of this that we had 150 employees. That was in two states. We were really a Cincinnati-based company, and we had some accounts in the northern Kentucky area. Over this 15 years, we have been able to take this into new states, new regions. Uh, we've acquired uh, uh, some companies through that process to grow. But most of this has been based upon, I have a client here in this part of Ohio, but they have an operation in Indianapolis or Nashville or Tampa or Lexington. And that's how we've really based our growth uh, model and, and strategies is just continue to build those relationships and referrals. Yeah. And on a similar train of thought, would be curious to get some insights into how you stay up to date on industry trends and changes, and also how you incorporate that knowledge into into your strategy, your sales strategy in, in real time. I, I feel like a, I, I have more meetings in a week than I than I ever really care to have, but we do a lot of kind of what we'll call breakout session meetings that we have with teams that I might meet with the operations team or maybe just a component of that field team. Because of my new role for the last two years, I've now been brought into the technology division. So I have a counterpart, Pete Kavoris, who oversees all of that technology side. And we've been doing cross-training with each other. I'm teaching him how our business division works and how his, good point that you're reminded me here is that we as a company weren't doing a very good job of even cross-selling or working with the other division. We had a sales team on the tech side and I had a sales team on the guard side. And again, 18 months, two years ago, we looked at this and said, this is silly. We have a lot of the same customers, uh, but there was no knowledge base here. It was, oh, we got a tech lead on the guard side. We got to turn that over. Now we're doing a lot more of educating and, and really looking at what the new technology is. We have a lot of partners that we will bring in from the technology side. As a matter of fact, I've got two just next week where we're going to sit with them and get their latest technology and their trends and what they're looking at. We really are very aggressive in working with our vendors to go, just give us the lead. Whatever that lead can be, we'll run with it and we'll help you. And we develop partnerships in other regions that even we may not have an office in, uh, but we may sub out that technology piece. But we're still the the face of that customer to that customer. Um, so we spend a lot of time really getting that information from our vendors, really looking at the current trends. As I stated earlier, the owner of my company being an engineer, he, he really is deep into what the future looks like. And he looks at technology and trends and what AI is going to look like. And we do a lot with cloud-based. And I think we're much further ahead in from what our competitors are doing. And we're looking at it that we're not going to wait for it. We're looking at what's next kind of thing. So it's a constant flow of information that we get. We have our own internal marketing, IT, and a development team. So they're even looking at what our platforms look like now and 
how we're going to be able to work together to make them more efficient and better customer uh, user friendly kind of platform. So it's a, it's a constant flow of information and reading everything that comes through. I have stacks of magazines. And uh, again, I'm not a guy that uh, that even gets on and, and does a lot of searching, but we've got people that do that, that I can bring them into a meeting and go, hey, I'm interested in learning about this. And we got people that will run right out and do that for us. So we're very fortunate as a company that we've invested a lot of money in being able to keep ahead of those trends. Okay. Yeah. That, that leads pretty nicely into the next question. Cause I was going to ask if there are specific tools that you incorporate over the departments or even like AI tools as well. I know that's obviously very much topical. You touched on it a little bit, obviously you don't have to share anything proprietary that you guys might be working on, but are there any specific tools that maybe you incorporate into your sales process on a day-to-day week-to-week basis? We're like any other company. We've got our own CRM again, not getting too deep into the details, but, um, my owner made a stance here about a year and a half ago where he wanted to develop uh, his own type of, of platforms to be able to to get that data and be able to have like very up to the minute uh, data. Uh, I can tell you a frustration on my end has always been that uh, because of the way that our business operated, particularly in the early years, we would have five or six different type of software platforms or programs that we were using, whether it was for scheduling or payroll or personnel management, uh, the CRM and those kind of things. Um, because he made this investment in his company, he literally decided that we're going to get away from all this and we're going to build this into one, maybe two, but we're looking to really just bring all those platforms together into one platform that the company will own. The ultimate goal is that we'll use this to not only help us with our sales and our current customers, but also use it as a platform that we can sell out to our customers for them to be able to use it. Uh, We find a lot of our customers are the smaller, uh, maybe property managers who don't have a local IT team or don't have even their own platforms to do things. Maybe they've got their own company stuff, uh, but they find a need internally or because of their tenant base or what they do as a company that uh, they're in the same situation where I got to pay for this platform and that platform, and they're looking for that one solution. So that is one of our goals here is to continue to develop our own type of platform that really is going to be employee and customer and user friendly and something that we as a company makes us more efficient because I think we're operating a little inefficiently because of those. And I think my owner would definitely agree with that. Yeah, no, appreciate the the insight there. And for the benefit of our listenership, which it's a lot of startup founders, CEOs, sales leaders such as yourselves would be curious to get some insights for those who are looking to expand, grow their teams across various markets or, or regions. What are some key attributes that you look for when expanding a sales team, whether it be new hires and how do you build trust within, within <laughs> your departments? That's a great question. It's a hard thing to do when uh, people work remotely. And we as a company, we're fortunate that because of the technology that we maintain and use, we base everything on metrics. If you're selling, go and play golf tomorrow. I don't care. It's more of, we really do, it's hard to find people to bring into this industry. Uh, A lot of people from the sales perspective have failed because sales is sales, but that's not really the case when you're looking at people that are that are looking for that commission, right? They, they, they live off of and they depend upon or they expect. In my industry, it may take 18 months before you even think about closing a sale. So to try and find people that are within your industry is difficult. 
so we've taken more of an approach of trying to develop people internally. Um, I've got a couple of key people that work for me that came from a different industry that we've actually been able to take and get them in an operational mode or an operational role and let them learn and understand the business and then move them into a sales position. We have brought people in from the outside that were successful. We look for people who good communication skills can have the confidence, but patience. They've got to be able to understand that when they want to talk to you, they will. When they don't, you just got to be patient and give them the opportunity to just wait until, as I call it, the wheels fall off and they're really upset with their current provider. Understanding that the sale that my team members have can range anywhere from an electronic sale of 10000 and up, a guard sale is going to range, you know, could be 100 k it could be a million dollars depending on the hours of service. So while people see that and go, oh, that's a good commission number, that's a good number for me to try and attain, those whales, those larger accounts don't come along that often. So then it gets back to, can you be patient? Can you understand our client portfolio? Are you able to really work within that environment? We don't like pushy salespeople. And again, no disrespect to people within the sales industry, but this is more of, you've got to really have the ability to just communicate, be patient, know when their need arises. You can't just wait six months and check in. So it's, it's more of that communication flow, work with our marketing team, do the check-in every now and then. Uh, but we have also found that a lot of our own people that are in like the guard business or that may be a technician, they're really good salespeople when they can go out and see who our competitors may be at other locations uh, but they're really good. Uh, we have an incentive program for them that bring us a lead that leads to something. You're going to get a little piece of that pie. And that has, uh, we use it for the employee referral program too, but it has given the buy-in. It, it helps our employees understand that uh, them being out there is valuable to us. So it has helped generate leads for us. And we try and expand upon those type of programs to just look at what our future leaders are going to be like. I think you've obviously figured out I've been in the industry a long time. I'm always big on succession planning, and I'm looking for what will that future look like. And I'm always looking to identify who my next leaders are going to be. And whether that's in the sales division or an operational role, we're constantly looking to develop our people. Gotcha. Appreciate the the insight there. And you touched on a, a point that I was going to bring up next. When it comes to communication between departments, would be curious what that looks like under your leadership, if that's like a, a daily, a weekly, a monthly, and how you manage those those various touch points between sales, marketing, customer management, whatever it might be. And that's a great question. When we started growing, I think one of the first challenges that we experienced was just communicating to all those branch locations, uh, because you would have an HR team member, usually two or three of the operations team members, and then you're going to have somebody in sales. And I, I never wanted them to feel excluded from the process. So we do several things. One, I have weekly department meetings, and sometimes they may be just 30 minutes, but it will be an invite to, okay, this is the sales team component. This is the HR team, and this might be the operations team. We also provide communications or the ability for the entire team to jump on calls and share ideas or hear what the other departments are doing. Uh, additionally, we're very big. Uh, again, I go back to, I will tell you, and I, I know this is being recorded, but I'm probably working for the, not only the best boss I've ever worked for, but I'm working for the smartest guy uh, I've ever worked for because 
he uses a lot of technology and he provides us those tools. So we have the ability to run metrics and numbers at, at an instant. And that data is provided to our leadership team so that they can run it anytime they need to share it with their team members. But we share that data on a weekly basis and we look at where were we successful last week? And we even look ahead uh, and we look a week ahead. We look a month ahead. We look quarterly. We just had a team call this morning looking at budgets for next year. The data that we have available to us is really the tool that we try and use to share with everyone. We do really well at recognition and we have a communications board that we can share information. We use Teams as a tool to not only share information, but have team calls in. We have a great marketing person that puts out regular content and puts out communication internally. And again, I go back to the original thing, trying to make sure that we don't exclude even people that are based out of other state in Tennessee or Florida. We want to make them feel included. The only downside, I think, to it is, is that when we do something at the corporate office, which is where the majority work at, like a chili cook-off coming up, hard to say, hey, you're in Nashville, drive on up for chili that day. That's really, that's the harder part of it. But we learned a lesson a long time ago that I'll just end this with, that we were running some contests internally for employees that were based at a location, but we only did it within our Cincinnati market. And I realized really quickly that people in the other markets were going, what about us? We can't compete or, and it was gift cards or a day off or things like that. So we learned a quick lesson there to ensure that we were including uh, everyone in it. And again, I apologize, but the last thing I, I would say is my industry is really difficult on the guard side because if you think of it in this regard, a client signs a contract with me and we say, okay, you're going to need 20 people to staff this location and here's what the hours of service are. Once they leave our office, once we give them their uniforms and they get their HR packet and they know they're getting their paycheck. They're really working for our client. They're working at their locations. So again, a lesson we learned a very long time ago was you've got to continue to engage those employees to even at that entry level, you, you want to keep them interested and engaged uh, because there's nothing stopping them. If they're unhappy with how we're engaging or we're treating them as an employee, there's nothing that stops them from going to my client and going, wow, I really don't like working for this company. That's where our engagement with the employee and our interaction with the client, we've been successful in that regard in retaining probably 96, 95% of our clients over the years because we usually know about those things. So the client will pick up the phone and go, hey, Rod or Chris or Emily or any team member and go, hey, we just had this employee tell us this. We're able to address things quickly. We don't get blindsided by things like that that often. So it's a holistic approach to communication, if you will. But we do it from the direct contact all the way up to just all this communication that we have available to us. Absolutely. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing a little more about that. I love that data-driven approach to that that measure twice, cut once methodology. So that's great. And it was probably the last question in terms of the people management aspect of it that I had in mind was, how do you maintain morale during the peaks and valleys. You have a great quarter, great year. That's amazing. The market slows down, the economy shifts. How do you manage both expectations and morale during those instances? If you'd asked me this three years ago, uh, my answer would be a little different. I have always been someone that I, I believe very much in getting to know who my team members are. I've always been a guy that 
two things. I want to surround myself with people that are not only smarter than me, but that could literally take over for the minute that I decide my time is done. And I've been fortunate in that regard. Being able to communicate with my team members on a personal level, just knowing when their birthday occurs or when something important in their family, I'm not real big on social media other than with my family. So it's good for me to always just pay attention to or understand and listen to my team members. I insist that my leaders share with me if they're dealing with an issue that may not rise to my level from an operational perspective, but if they're dealing with something, if there's something I can help them with, I want to know so that I can at least support my leadership if they feel that there's something they need to do. We try and have regular kind of gatherings or get-togethers. We're getting to the holidays, and I try and travel to all of our branch locations and take our leadership team out for a, a cocktail or a, just a, a quick let's get together and so that they know and understand that I'm here to support them. Constantly looking at and seeking input from our leadership team and all of our departments on what are the challenges or struggles that you are seeing within your department. I go back to the metrics-driven process here. We look at how many openings do we have and are we succeeding? And when we're doing really well, then it seems to flow through all the teams that, hey, we've got very few openings now. Having multiple branches, we can have 20, 30, 40, 50 openings at any one time. Those are challenging things that I know stress our teams because then it puts a lot of pressure on the external teams for overtime or missed coverage and things where they're dealing with their clients. So going back to what we talked about on those weekly meetings, I get a lot of really good feedback. And sometimes they don't even realize that they're sharing information that's beneficial to me to help them or to at least understand what they're dealing with. We really do try and we want people to be able to do their job and we give them the tools and the latitude to do that. I go back to, I've stayed at this company 15 years because I'm not micromanaged and we don't micromanage people. We trust them to do their jobs. Like you said earlier about the salespeople and the people that are working remotely, trust them to do their jobs, look at their metrics. If somebody makes a sale or, or they're not, you can tell that pretty quickly here. So just really communication and just staying in touch with your teams. Uh, the old term management by walking around is a little difficult when you are in multiple regions and states and branches, uh, but just being able to do it at the level that we are providing our employees and just listening to their engagement as well. And I'm a guy that before every call ends, I ask every single member on that call and it, it could be 20 people on the call. Do you have anything you want to add to this? And I ask for input and they know that I want to get their input here because I want to have all the best information so that when I walk into any meeting with the ownership or our leadership team, I want to know more than they do. And I want to be able to walk in with not only here's what we're dealing with, but here's some options or here's a solution. And I encourage our teams to react in that same way. Definitely. Well, appreciate the the insights there as well. Would be curious as far as your work life balance. How do you? What does that look like? How do you strike that balance? I guess most of the time. I'll tell you, my wife is um, doing this from here at my home today. My wife's upstairs, and I don't want her answering this question. Uh, <laughs> but it's a challenge. I won't lie to you about that. The one thing that people tend to forget, and I have to remind our technology division of this: the guard division is a twenty four hour operation. So there are emails and texts and messages that come through 24 hours a day. I do have to learn how to balance that and shut that off. I'm not a guy that 
I don't take a week or two weeks off and go away on vacation. If I do, my laptop's close. So what I try and do more of is I plan family time or that disconnect time uh, around what my schedule looks like. Uh, my wife and I uh, are pretty fortunate in that we want to take a long weekend, three, four day weekend. We'll do things like that. Uh, I'm a cigar smoker. <clears throat> so for me, relaxation is a good cigar and a, and a glass of Bacardi and Coke and uh, just some kind of a uh, a cocktail to just sit outside and enjoy. Um, but, but really it's for me, it's, it's making sure that the time with my family, balancing my work life. Um, I'm a root guy that's got a routine. I'm a, uh, I've been this way my entire life. Uh, from the minute I rose into leadership in law enforcement, I work seven days a week. Uh, but I balance that. It's, uh, I get up in the morning when it's not disruptive, even to my wife, that I'll come and I'll work a little bit balance it with my having a cup of coffee or a morning breakfast, always making sure that I have time for family and friends and just that decompression and relaxation that I do. Hobbies are few. I'm fortunate over my years, I now have grandchildren being able to spend the time with my wife and I have five children between us. We love spending time with the five of them, the grandchildren, or just being able to disconnect and just sit in I'll share. I've got a, a room where I can smoke my cigar and just relax and not talk. There are times where you just need that ability to just not have to talk about anything. So I'm fortunate that that I've got a wife who understands that and is very supportive of it and a family who's understood that I was telling someone just yesterday that May of next year will mark 50 years that I've been in the work industry because my family owned a restaurant. I started working at the age of 14. My birthday is tomorrow and I'm really looking at this. Wow, I really have done this for a long time, but Unlike what most people do in law enforcement, where they retire, take their pension, maybe do a part-time gig in security, I'm just not that kind of guy. I I made a conscious decision that when I retired, I went right into a, another leadership role within the security industry because I felt that was a very natural fit for me. It turned out to be good. Working for Aegis Protective Services has been an amazing journey. I'd like to tell you that I'd like to wrap 20 years up here within this industry as well. And it's rare for people that can say they've had three careers uh, between security and law enforcement and restaurants. But I truly have uh, been fortunate because I just, I, I can't slow down. It, it's just not my time to stop working yet. People know when it, uh, their time comes. I'll figure that out one of these days, but not yet. Yeah, that's great. And congrats on that milestone as well. That's a pretty significant marker. And hey, you look great for 64. Or... <laughs> so... I'll be 63 tomorrow. Oh, okay. Even... <laughs> If I added an extra year. <laughs> okay. Hey, I appreciate you there, brother, but yeah, yeah. I'll be 63 tomorrow. Amazing. Rod, I'd be curious to just get your thoughts, maybe more generally speaking, for advice you might have for aspiring sales leaders, not just within your industry, but maybe more generally speaking. And then if there's any challenges you foresee in your industry in the next few years, would like to get a little more perspective on that. Sure. I guess for those that are, are are trying to rise up, I have conversations with people who want to get into law enforcement or they want to get into some type of an industry. And I would tell you, you need to be not only passionate about it, but you really do need to, to have the patience. I, I interview people all the time and I have a, a question I ask and I say, where do you want to be in five years? And I will literally have people that are in their 20s look at me and go, I want to be in your seat. And for me, it's like you look at me and I'm the vice president, I'm the second in command of this organization, and you believe you can attain that in five years. And I'm not saying that it's not possible. A lot of people, I think, are hung up on titles. I think it's very important for people to develop a work ethic 
to develop a reputation. I was never perfect in, in everything that I've done, but I feel that I have always had a very strong work ethic and I've always been able to build relationships and bring people together. That has been my strength. And people, I feel you can be very successful if you're able to do that. The people that are out there looking to just climb that next step on the ladder, there are going to always be those people. And, and some of them are going to be successful, but uh, for the majority of the people and the, those of us that live in the real world, you really do have to have that patience and look at always what that next step is. I'll tell you one of the things that I did growing up in my field uh, was I constantly uh, would go to interviews. I would apply for other jobs and went to interviews. And I only did it for one reason. And that was to improve upon my communication skills, to be able to talk to people like you and be able to answer and respond. It has served me well over the years. It's not for everyone. Find that niche, find what works for you, find what your best skill sets are, and really focus in on those skill sets and where they fit best within whatever industry you wish to pursue. As far as the future, I will tell you that we as a company and a lot of companies are looking at what's technology going to be like here in the next two, three, four, five years. The world has changed so much. Finding people is harder and harder. When we were paying $10, $12 an hour 10 years ago for security officers, is now costing $15, $16 an hour for pay. And I see that as even going away, that people want to and need a sustainable, livable wage. I agree with that completely. Clientele aren't, are trying to evolve into being able to pay for that. That hasn't been the way the industry has been. So I think what's going to happen in the future is that technology is going to play a role. Uh, and maybe those buildings that had two or three officers working a shift are going to go to one and utilize technology. But there's a lot of technology out there that allows the end user to be able to protect their building, to have alerts, to be able to know in real time when something's happened. Unlike the old days where you were being reactive, we provide a lot of solutions to be able to be proactive to allow you the ability to get an alert to your phone and look at it and go, okay, I know who this is, or, oh, I got a problem, and to respond. So I think the change that people are going to see is more towards you're going to be relying less and less on people. I am not a proponent, and I do not believe that it's going to come to a point where you don't need security officers or you need people in place. You're going to always need people there, at least in my lifetime, that are going to be able to respond or be able to be there on site for you. Technology hasn't advanced that much. There are properties that can do without it, but moving into more of that technology solutions and opportunities to utilize solutions that are going to save you money and are going to really protect your uh, resources in a way that sometimes people just can't do. So that's where I think the future is headed. Rod, it was great. Uh, appreciate all your uh, insights, stories, feedback, uh, uh, and experience. That was very interesting. Uh, definitely one of the most interesting uh, 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 podcasts I think we've uh, we've had so far. So very uh, kind of you. I, I thank you. I appreciate that. This was fun. Yeah, I, I would love to have you back on, perhaps at a at a later date. But again, appreciate your time and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you.